The book of Judges. So remember, after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the promised land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future, and you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges, and the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in and we can explore each part a bit more. The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the Promised Land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter 1 gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites, and eventually the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge, from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again, and it would all start over. This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So Gideon, he begins pretty well. He's a coward of a man, but he eventually comes to trust that God can save Israel through him. And so he defeats a huge army of Midianites with only 300 men carrying torches and clay pots. But Gideon has a nasty temper and he murders a bunch of fellow Israelites for not helping him in his battle and then it all goes downhill from there. He makes an idol from the gold that he won in his battles and then after he dies all Israel worships the idol as a god and the cycle begins again. 
The next main judge is Jephthah, who's something of a mafia thug living up in the hills. And when things get really bad for Israel, the elders come to him begging for his help. And Jephthah was a very effective leader. He won lots of battles against the Ammonites, but he was so unfamiliar with the God of Israel, he treats him like a Canaanite God. He vows to sacrifice his daughter if he wins the battle. This tragic story, it shows just how far Israel has fallen. They no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and to false worship. The last judge, Samson, is by far the worst. His life began full of promise, but he has no regard for the God of Israel. He was promiscuous, violent, and arrogant. He did win brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity, and his life ends in a violent rush of mass murder. Now, a quick note here. You'll notice a repeated theme in the main section of the book, that at key moments, God's Spirit will empower each of these judges to accomplish these great acts of deliverance. Now, the fact that God uses these really screwed up people doesn't mean he endorses all or even any of their decisions. God is committed first and foremost to saving his people, but all he has to work with is these corrupt leaders. And so work with them, he does. This whole section is designed to show just how bad things have gotten. You can't even tell the Israelites and the Canaanites apart anymore. And that's just the leaders. The final section shows Israel as a whole hitting bottom. There are two tragic stories here, and they are not for the faint of heart. They're structured by this key line that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The first story is about an Israelite named Micah who builds a private temple to an idol and that gets plundered by a private army sent from the tribe of Dan. So they come and they steal everything and then they go and burn down the peaceful city of Laish and murder all of its inhabitants. It's a horrifying story. When Israel forgets its God, might makes right. The final story of the book is even worse. It's a shocking tale of sexual abuse and violence, which all leads to Israel's first civil war. It's very disturbing. And that's the point. These stories are meant to serve as a warning. Israel's descent into self-destruction is the result of turning away from the God who loves them and saved them out of slavery in Egypt. And now Israel needs to be delivered again from themselves. The only glimmer of hope in this story is found in this repeated line in the last part of the book. It actually forms the last sentence of the story. Israel has no king. And so the stage is set for the following books to tell the origins of King David's family, the book of Ruth, and also the origins of kingship itself in Israel, the book of 1 Samuel. But the story of Judges has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. And that's the book of Judges. Good deal. Um, so that's a good example of how uh, Bible meets art. It's quite, quite good. And they do all the books like that. Uh, again, I don't agree with everything about the project, but um, certainly they've been helpful to me. Um, so let's do this. Uh, turn to Judges 2. We're going to look at the whole Bible, or the whole, whole book, rather. Um, we don't have time to do the whole Bible. Um, but uh, so we'll read this, but really we're, we're just going to read it in passing. 
um, and we'll make a lot of references to uh, the book of Judges. Um, so uh, Judges 2, this is a good, good little summary verse, verse 16 to 18. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they went after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Well, uh, I don't know about you, but I remember the day when I became interested in the Bible. Um, now, maybe you've always had interest in the Bible because you've just always been made to read it, or you grew up in church, or got saved, whatever it is. But I grew up in the church and uh, wasn't all that remotely interested in it. It doesn't mean that I disrespected the Bible. It's just, I was a teenager, I'm not going to spend my spare time reading the Bible. But I still remember the day I became interested in it. And I blame my youth pastor. You've, you've met my youth pastor. You've, you've met his daughter, Autumn and, and Greg, who have, have been here. Um, and uh, he casually mentioned a story in the Bible that was violent and bloody. And my little 13, 12-year-old heart suddenly became interested. It was a story of Deborah, particularly of Yael with the tent peg and the head. And I thought, that's in the Bible? Tell me more. He goes, sure. Uh, there's a story of a guy who was left-handed, who stabbed a, an overweight king, and, and, and he gave you the details. We'll save it when we get there in, 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 uh, later, chapter 3, I think. And I thought, cool, tell me more. And he said, well, uh, there's a story where they cut off the thumbs and the big toes of a king they capture. And like, really? Tell me more. And we just kept going on from there. Kept, kept going on. And he, he showed me that even in stories that I was familiar with, uh, say Noah, he said, well, in, 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 you know, as a kid growing up in Sunday school and church whatnot, it's not that we just skip over parts of the Bible. It's just not really age appropriate when you're a kid. So the story of Noah and what happens and gets off the ark and, and some of the flaws of Abraham or Moses committing murder and having a temper and just, you know, went through the whole Bible. And it all started right there with a casual reference to a violent story in Judges. Now, that is my problem, okay? That what got me into the Bible, uh, for most teenage boys, the Song of Solomon, but for me, it was the violent stories of Judges. However, ever since then, Judges has only been the violent story of, of, of Israel who had forsaken their God. Never really done much of a deep dive into it. I just thought it was a cool story. You know, it's like reading John Wick, but in the Bible, I guess. Uh, but actually, the more you read it, I think it's one of the most practical books considering where we are now. Because what you have is what happens to a nation that forsakes God in favor of its own selfish desires. If the God of the age is the self, what becomes of that nation? And I actually think we, by looking in the past, we could be looking into our future. And Judges is a really good book in in, in, in that regard. 
so I want us just to do a, a little bit of, of, of overview uh, and background. We won't repeat a lot that, that you saw in the video. That saves us quite a bit. Start with, with a little bit of a, a background. Judges didn't descend from above. We got it from somewhere. As the video said, the title Judges is an odd one. We think of judges, we think of people who determine court cases. So you have local judges all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, justices. Um, and that's not really what these are. As, as the video said, they would be uh, tribal military leaders. Um, and, and so what they would, so think of them as tribal chieftains. Uh, they, they have a political responsibility, judicial responsibility, because that's tied to the political, uh, military responsibility, and religious responsibility. All these are brought together. Remember, Israel is a theocracy. There's no king. Uh, God rules over Israel. The problem is, is if God doesn't rule over the human heart, he's not going to be able to rule over, over the nation. And so he raises up what we call judges, they're really tribal chieftains, to, to liberate and to lead Israel. And what we find is, is that this person judged for 40 years, whatever it was, and then they died, and they go back to where they were before God had raised up that, that chieftain. I was trying to think, do we use the word judge like this? The closest I could think of, and maybe you can think of others, we have a term, uh, it's a political term, it's judge executive. Franklin County has a judge executive. Owen County has a judge executive. All of our counties have one. They are political leaders, local political leaders. It's not the same, of course. Uh, our judge executive can't round up an army and go attack, you know, northern Kentucky. Um, but we use the word judge, not in a legal sense there, but in a political sense. Uh, nevertheless, uh, what we see ultimately is is that Israel lacks central power. By the way, that was the, probably the most important debate our founding fathers had. And this is actually still the debate we have, um, is should we centralize power in the federal government? Should we centralize power in the states? So before the Civil War, people were more loyal to their states than they were to their nation. That's why Robert E. Lee really joined the Confederacy, uh, is because he was a Virginian. If Virginia went to the South, he's joined the South. Uh, if Virginia had stayed with the North, he would have likely have led the North. Um, and so uh, uh, that's the way they think. You, you think of these are 12 tribes in, in what is broadly known as Israel. Now, this would have been common at this time. Think the Canaanites, who we meet in chapter 1, um, they, that is a broad term for a lot of tribes. The Perizzites, the Ammonites, the, uh, later the Hittites will come. Of course, they... they or the Philistines, I guess, come from water. But, but, but all these groups are Canaanites, but really you're going up against the local tribes, and with them are, are local chieftains. So the first story, it's where they cut off the thumbs and toes in chapter 1, is the tribes of Judah and Simeon, by their powers combined, they go in and they attack the Perizzites. The Perizzites are, more broadly speaking, Canaanites. They're, they're, they're a certain subset of, of the Canaanites. So who, who wrote this book? Uh, real quick, um, nobody tells us in the Bible. The Bible never tells us who wrote Judges. However, I think what is interesting is uh, there is internal and external evidence that suggests that perhaps Samuel wrote it. In fact, throughout history, the, the general argument is that Samuel wrote this book. And there are some reasons to, to do this. One, um, uh, Samuel is considered the last of the judges, and he's also considered the first of the prophets. 
And so Samuel is the bridge between this book and Ruth with, with the monarchy. He, after all, is the one that anoints the monarchy. You remember that part of that is because his own sons can't replace him. Um, and uh, so, so they, they, they choose the monarchy. We also know that Samuel did write. Um, so you get this in 1 Samuel 10. Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. He wrote them in a book and laid it for the Lord. Now, that could be 1 Samuel he wrote. Uh, now, he didn't write 2 Samuel because he's dead by then. But um, uh, we do know that a lot of the, the people in the Bible wrote. We don't have everything that, that, that they wrote, as far as we know. But um, uh, Samuel did write. So it would make sense, being that he was able to, to write and record. He, he may be this. Uh, now, what is uh, perhaps more significant rather than the author is the date of the composition. We're pretty sure that the, the most of it, there may have been later editors, a separate subject. Is, is that the text tells us it is written in a time when there was a monarchy. After all, the phrase, as you saw in the video, in those days there was no king in Israel, Judges 17, 18, 19, and 21. You'll find that phrase, there was no king in Israel, implies when it was written there was now a king in Israel. And Samuel would, would fit, fit that, that time frame. And we also know it was probably written before... David became king. I th I, this stuff fascinates me. If you're bored, just take a five-minute nap and we'll, we'll catch up with you. Um, the, oh, did I, did I put these up here? Yeah, yeah, here they are. Uh, this is where there was no king in Israel. Uh, compare this. Here's Judges 121. The people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. Right? So, so we, that, that is a historical marker. So when, when, when are the events of Judges? Well, it has to be when the Jebusites were in Jerusalem. Well, what did we read when we went through the story of David in 2 Samuel 5? The king, David, has just been anointed. What did he do? He drove out the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. This is when David makes Jerusalem the capital of his kingdom. So, so if, if this was written after David, it would say the Jebusites were still in the land. What it says is, oh yeah, the, the Jebusites are there, and they're still there. So that gives us a marker. Let me see if I can give you another one here. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. So that gives us a historical marker. You come to First Kings, of course, much later than, than David. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city. So, so, so at the very least, what you see here is, is uh, by this time with, with, with Solomon is is that the Gezerites, I guess they're called, are still living there. So whenever it's written, it has to be before David and, and Solomon because it's as if the writer of Judges is unaware these events are going to change. This is reality in which, which they, they wrote them. So with that said, what, what's the historical backdrop? Well, one, the book of Judges, we think, covers a period between 300 and 350 years. We say we think... Because we read Judges as if it's chronological order. Othniel came, and then his time was over with. And then, uh, uh, you know, Shamgar came, and his time was over with. And, and, and then Deborah and Barak came. And, and that's not how it is. Remember that what you have are 12 tribes. And there was a time when Othniel was over here, and he was doing his thing. And around that time, Deborah was over here doing her thing. And a little later was a guy named Shamgar, and he's doing his thing. So there's overlap. There's gaps and there's overlap. 
And so the difficult part is knowing where is the overlap and where are the gaps. And we can pinpoint some of that. So, so we have a rough estimate um, of when did uh, the events of Judges 1 start and when, uh, when does it end. So we have about 300 to 350 years uh, to this place. Um, however, uh, the reason it exists is because Israel has taken possession of the land under Joshua. However, even though they possess the land, it's as if they don't own the land. This is to say that we think of possession is that he comes in and he wipes out whatever he needs to wipe out, destroys whatever he needs to destroy, and they plant their flag and that's it. The problem is, is that there are a lot of Canaanites who didn't want to leave. And so when Joshua dies, uh, in the books of Joshua and, and in Judges, it says there were still pockets of places that had not been uh, adequately cleansed. Now remember, there are two Old Testament stories that help us to interpret Judges. One, we need to read the conquest, Joshua and Judges, as like it's the book of Noah. Remember that in the days of Noah, the people were wicked. And instead of judging everybody, God cleansed the lands by saving a family. When God brought Joshua and that generation in, God's doing the same thing. He's cleansing the land by redeeming a people. And so, so the concern is if the Canaanites hang out, then the people are going to be corrupted by the Canaanite religion. So when Joshua dies, there is still some cleansing that needs to be done. The other story from Genesis that helps us to understand what's happening in the conquest is the story of Adam and Eve, where God creates a garden in the middle of a wilderness. We read that a thousand times in Genesis, an oasis in the middle of the desert. And God plants his people there by which they will enjoy his presence, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's what the book of Judges is supposed to be. In fact, if you read chapter 1, Caleb says, if anyone can go kill the Ammonites, I think it's the Ammonites, you can read it there in chapter 1. Uh, whoever does it, I'll give you my daughter. Remember, Caleb is the last guy surviving from the uh, generation of slaves. He's the last guy. And so he's a prominent leader in Israel, but he's a dying generation. And so to marry into his family would be a, a good gig. And, um, and uh, what his daughter does is he, she goes up to her fiancé, the guy who does this, and she says, Go to my father and request a certain piece of land, the land with all the springs in it. Now, why is that significant? Because it sounds like the Garden of Eden. Don't just get any piece of land. Get the piece of land, the best piece of land. What we want is the garden. So Israel is to cleanse the land like Noah. They are to dwell in it like Adam. Enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey. It's garden language. And then by being fruitful, multiply, following the Lord, his presence among them, they were to fill the earth. That, that's, that's the whole point of Judges. The problem is, is instead of being in Genesis 2, Judges takes place in Genesis 3 and 4. It is violent like, the, the, like with Cain, and they, 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 they fall for the serpent's tongue like in Genesis 3. So, so we, we get what it's supposed to be, but the people don't, don't live, live up to that. So uh, if, if you want to see this uh, in... Uh, oh. Yeah, um, in Joshua 13, Joshua was owed in advance in years, and the Lord said to him, you are owed in advance in years. Thanks, I just read that. 
and there remains yet very much land to possess. So when he dies, there isn't a central figure now. You went from Moses to Joshua. Now it's tribal figures. Through the help of the Lord and through these judges, they are to take possession and ownership of the land so they can then enjoy the land in proper worship of Yahweh, the one who's redeemed them. And, and so that's why in Judges we see all of this fighting, is, is, is they're wanting to take possession of it. Um, so uh, you can see this in Judges 3. Uh, now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. Uh, that is all Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. They were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, whether he commanded fathers by hand of Moses. So you can see that this is clearly from the very beginning um, they were to do this. Um, but as, as we see in chapter 2, judges at the end of the day, we know what it was supposed to be, but what they ended up being was the complete opposite. You're in chapter 2. Look at verse 12 with me. Um, so you go back to verse 11, if you will. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, or Baals. In Hebrew, you pronounce every, every vowel, every letter, Baal, but Baal's fine. Verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So this is where you get, as the video showed, a pattern in Judges, where you get um, disobedience, followed by discipline, followed by deliverance. And then you get disobedience, followed by uh, discipline, followed by deliverance. The problem is, is that the pattern, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Have you ever seen a graph that it does something like this? You have a real low, then a real high, and then the low is lower, but the high isn't as high. The low is lower, but the high isn't as high. If you ever follow like stocks, businesses that are on the decline, Disney, you're going to see this, right, uh, is, is you want it to do this. Right? Your, your lows aren't as low as they were, and your highs are higher than your highs. But judges in, in Israel, what you get is it's not perfect. Rather, it's they start here, and then they, they disobey, and there's a drop, and it's really low, and God delivers them, and, 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 and great, and that's a great high. But then they fall lower than what they were before, but they never rise to where they were. And they keep following lower and lower. And that's why those, that final third section, I'll show you an outline in a minute, that, that you saw in the video, it is absolute rock bottom. To the point they're saying that if we don't have central leadership, we're, we're just going to kill each other. Civil war, we're just going to kill each other. Does that sound familiar, America? Uh, the, the, the federal government takes on central power because of the civil war. You may think that's good or bad. I don't know. But, but what's going to hold the country together isn't Alabama or Rhode Island. Um, and your loyalties to your state has to be to, to, to the nation. And it's in the context of a civil war. Israel went through that. Um, and so this is where you get the monarchy. And, and Solomon isn't able to consolidate all the tribes. David does. But after Solomon, they go back in, in, into their tribal identities. Yeah, Saul couldn't do it. Solomon was able to hold them together, but Solomon's son uh, made, made the big, big mistake. So Judges is the narrative of apostate Israel. What happens when the people blessed by God refuse to obey him? 
Only I can think of a modern example of that. What happens? Well, you see this pattern of disobedience and discipline, and our only hope is deliverance. What is the purpose of of judges? Like, why, why, why do we have it in the Bible? Could we just skip this part of history? Well, for one, historically, it, it's the connective tissue between Joshua and Saul. Samuel, if you will, but Saul. So how do we go from they've entered the promised land with, with a central figure um, to monarchy? That's a big jump. How, how do we get there? And Judges uh, tells us how that is. Um, they go from theocracy to monarchy. And the answer lies deep within the human soul. The temptation when you read Judges is to say, okay, the problem is bad political leadership. Samson was not a good leader. Uh, Gideon was not a good leader. Jephthah was, I love the mob boss. Uh, he's a diet, you know, hey, you know, let's just, you know. You know okay, if, if that helps you think of Jephthah, fine. That's what's wrong. It was a political problem, and this really turned to a political solution. Actually, no, the problem was spiritual, moral. Is, is that The problem is, is, is within the human heart. Left to our own devices as a depraved people, we will destroy, kill, and ruin everything around us. And perhaps no other book in the Bible provi- provides a more, uh, a more clear warning to a secular post-Christian society. A society that says we don't need God anymore. The lie of modern technology, modernity, post-modernity, and secularism is that we can have the benefits of a Christian society, equal justice, human rights, civil rights, all that. We can have the benefits of, of a Christian society without the Christian God. And we're actually discovering it doesn't work that way. If you, I've talked about this a thousand times before. We are becoming a tribal people, much of it thanks to politics. And I've joked about this. Uh, if you drive a Dodge Ram 4x4 diesel truck, what party do you vote for? By like 98% Republican. Republican. If, if, if you drive a electric vehicle Prius, I don't know if they exist, I don't know, but if it's an electric vehicle of a car from France, you vote for it. You vote Democrat. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, how, how we... we and, and by the way, we're noticing the immigration, the e-immigration, is that if you're more liberally bent, more left bent, you're going to go to blue states. So red states are becoming redder, blue states are becoming bluer. So what happens every presidential election, aren't you glad this isn't a presidential year, is, is that the country gets more torn apart into pockets, geographical pockets. The coast is lefty. The, the, the central part of America, conservative. And, and we're, we're doing this now. We're doing everything you're seeing Israel's doing. And, and I think this is a real warning to us. A secular society is one that takes its focus off God and his will, and onto the self and our will. This is why the, uh, and these are found at the end of the book, but th- these are probably the most important verses. Uh, in those days, notice it, it's, it's exactly the same. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, we have a president, right? Well, we, there is no king in, in America, you could say. But without a doubt, we are doing what is right in our own eyes really without consequences, uh, especially if you're guys in power. Um, I mean, this, this is describing us. So um, what are some, some other thoughts? So, so I think that's helpful why, why, why I want us to look at Judges, that, and I'm fascinated by the book. 
Um, so let me give you just two other sort of the purpose of Judges, at least for, for, for what we're wanting to do. One, I think Judges is a book about leadership. This should be an obvious point. That was actually pointed out to me by, by one of the books I was reading. Um, it's a book about leadership. It's predominantly a story about leaders God raised to deliver Israel. It is pro-leadership in that sense, that people need leadership. Um, there's a part of me that's, that gets frustrated that I think people should be able to take care of themselves. Like, you hit a certain age, no one should tell you you need to bathe yourself, brush your teeth, uh, work hard, pay your bills, be responsible. Like, you hit an age, you're like, it's not cute anymore. You know what I found? We kind of need that, don't we? Do you ever feel insulted by, like, commercials and ads that tell you the very basic of stuff? Um, I, I, I try to think, think of an example. Um, it, they're like public service announcements. Um, don't be a bully, you know, maybe one. Or, or you know, do we, we get these all the time. You're kind of insulted, like, I'm an adult. I know not to do X or to do Y. I know that. But the truth is, humans need leadership. They need people who will step up and lead. And where there is a vacuum of leadership, watch, watch what happens. Um, uh, mob mentality takes over, and we do crazy and dumb things. The Bible is pro-leadership. Um, look at Moses and Jethro and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David, and Solomon. I mean, the Bible is pro-leadership. But what we get here in Judges is that these are all flawed leaders. Now, as we'll see, is that the early judges are the best, still flawed, but they're the best. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, so I think the video had good, bad, and worse. So it's like uh, bad, badder, and baddest. You know, uh, they, 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 they're never perfect, you know, and that's okay. But, but they, they just keep getting worse as the culture seems, seems to give. So, for example, um, Deborah, a woman, delivered Israel, but she was disqualified to be a priest. Now, now we'll get to Deborah, but, but the question I have is, is why Deborah? Was there no other courageous men willing to lead? There was. There was a guy named Barak, but he lacked the courage. So what does that tell us about Israel? Um, I said that of the church once. I'll save that for when we get to Deborah. Uh, Samson is a moral mess. Jephthah made a foolish vow. And I liked how they, how, how, how they put it in the video, that Jephthah was one who had so forgotten about God, he confused Yahweh with a Canaanite god, hence the sacrifice of his daughter. That helped me with that mystery of the Bible, that one little video clip than anything I've ever read. And I'm just going to steal that when we get to Jephthah. Uh, Gideon was the son of idolaters whose ephod, you saw in the video, the little golden calf with the vest. as a priestly ephod uh, that was reserved for the tabernacle later temple. It got turned into idol worship. He tried to make his son a judge, um, and he is one of the worst characters in the book, and that's quite a feat. He's the guy, Bimelech, uh, my, my father is king, interesting name considering his father was a judge. Um, he's the guy who uh, the woman drops the millstone on his head. And, and he, he goes the direction of Saul. Well, Saul will go in the direction of Abimelech. He asks his armor bearer to kill him because he doesn't want it said that he died from the hand of a woman. Remember, Saul made the same request. Uh, which, by the way, can I just footnote? Judges opens with the tribe of Judah winning battles. It ends with the tribe of Benjamin causing civil war. Why is that important? Why are those two tribes important? King Saul was of what tribe? Benjamin, you know, the people who raped and killed that, that concubine and caused the civil war? That's where Saul came from. What tribe is David from? 
Judah, the royal uh, tribe that Jacob said would, would have a king. And, and at the beginning of the book, everything's still okay. But when everything got away from Judah, you ended up with Benjamin. You know, it's just, I do think some of Judges is somewhat propaganda for David. I do. Uh, but, you know, do with that whatever you want. Um, but here's the thing, is despite how flawed these leaders are, God still uses them. Now, that is not an excuse for unrighteous behavior from leaders. What it is, is the hope that despite unrighteous behavior, God still uses weak people for great things. In fact, we see that at least twice in the Bible, these leaders are honored. Uh, so let me give you one, 1 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Jerubbabel. Uh, so so you, you see the word Baal there, Baal. So you, you, this, is, this is a bad time, bad time. Uh, he sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of the enemies on every side, and you lived in safety. So, so here, God sent these judges, and, and, and they're not perfect. I mean, Barak gets, gets uh, the credit when Deborah should get the credit. After all, you get the song of Deborah, not the song of Barak. It's interesting to mention that. Jephthah, my lands, what a mess. He's the son of a harlot. Um, and, of course, Samuel, who wasn't the best father, who, which will be mirrored by, by David. And here is the Faith Hall of Fame. What more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Oh, you know the, the guy that, that led Israel into idolatry? Barak. Oh, there he is again. You know, the guy too, too cowardly. He, 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 had to, he had to put a woman's life in danger, put her in the front of leadership. That guy? Uh, what about Samson? Pick any part of the Samson story, and he's a terrible human being. Uh, what about Jephthah? We've made fun of him. And of course, David and Samuel, they're not really all that much better. This is where I've, I've struggled with, particularly in a, in a canceled society, is what we want to do is we say, you've crossed a line, you're, you're exiled. All good Jews are erased. Yes, 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 exactly. And yet there is a tension here. Now, you may have disqualified yourself. That's a separate conversation. Cancel culture is not disqualification. It is exile. And, and so there is a tension here between recognizing that we want more from our leaders, our leadership, but also recognizing every person in leadership is flawed and that we have to figure out a way to honor the good through flawed characters without simultaneously praising the bad. So, like, I've told you, uh, one of my favorite Democrat presidents of the 20th century was a womanizer, John F. Kennedy. Right? I can, I know, I know, I know, Lonnie's going to disagree with me with that. Um, uh, well, it ain't, it, it, it ain't Woodrow Wilson. Um, so, uh, um, so how can we then, because I think what he did with his wife was horrendous. So how can we honor some, some of the good? Uh, I'm glad we went to the moon. Um, while without praising the, the bad. Uh, we could do the same thing with, with Republican leaders. Um, we've had some recent Republican womanizers that we've elected. And, and we just ignore that, right? So, so surely we can, we can we, there's a tension there. And Judges allows us to swim with that tension. God used these men and women to do incredible things, to show his grace and favor. But the Bible never celebrates or glosses over their, their mistakes. Here's the second thing I want us to see. God's grace pursues sinners relentlessly. It pursues sinners relentlessly. Perhaps no other book 
illustrates the depth of God's unconditional love than Judges. Um, I mean, you read Judges and, and you get so tired of Israel. You want God to say, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm done. What more, what more do you want me to do? I conquered Egypt with a shot of a single bow. Brought them to their knees. Walked you through the wilderness. Cleared out the promised land. And all I asked is that you love me. That's it. That's it. That's all I asked. Just love me. And Israel took redemption. They took the conquest. And they said, thank you, but no thanks. We'll take it from here. You understand why idolatry is often compared to adultery in the Bible. Spiritual adultery. And Israel committed it over and over again. And this will be their story throughout the rest of the Old Testament. The book of Hosea takes that imagery of spiritual adultery and personifies it in Hosea's marriage to a harlot. And God is saying, you think, you think that's bad? Guess what you've done to me? And yet we see God is pursuing sinners relentlessly. Um, so let me just show you this. This, this was in the... Uh, book, I don't know, if, or the video, so I don't know if you can see it. This is the outline. There's three parts. You get an introduction, the first, uh, first little over three chapters, uh, so we'll, we'll walk through it, starting Lord willing next week. Here's the body of it, so chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 16, verse 31. This is where you're going to get all of your judges. I think I have them all there. Uh, so you start with Othniel, uh, you go to Ehud, the, the left-handed dude. Um, uh, Shamgar, I think, gets one verse. Uh, his story gets sort of repeated by Samson. Shemgar takes like a, a donkey's a jawbone, something like that. I may be confused with Samson. He just wipes everybody out. Samson will come later and do the same thing. Uh, so so we'll, that's one verse. We'll see how long that takes us to get through Shemgar. Uh, Deborah and Barak, uh, Gideon, the Midianites, Abimelech, uh, that's Gideon's son, Tola and Jair, Jephthah, Ibsen, Elon, and Abdon. Again, there's very, very brief uh, narratives. Um, and then Samson. Um, takes on the, the Philistines. So uh, that, that's, that's, when we think of Judges, we think of that. But Judges ends in absolute anarchy. What happens when um, no one recognizes God's presence in town? Well, let me tell you, it's a lot of sexual violence, particularly targeting women. And it is just violence where men go after men, tribe after tribe, and it is a vicious cycle that unless someone steps in, they're looking for a kink, we're asking for a savior. That cycle will not end. It's basically the story of Beowulf, but no one cares about my favorite book. So, um, so that's, that's the outline. Uh, one last thing, and then we're done. What about the gospel? The book of Judges does point us to the gospel. As we said, there is a, uh, there is a for at least for, for the body of it, three, uh, an arc that has three parts. It is disobedience, it is discipline, it is deliverance. And... In the central part of the story with the judges, um, you can see that Israel thinks that what's wrong with them is political. That is, it's external. So if, if what's wrong with us is the Ammonites or the Perizzites or the Philistines, the Canaanites, then, then, then you can see how they would rationalize that what we need are external solutions. We do this today. Uh, we will say things like, well... Um, there is a crime centralized in this neighborhood. The problem is poverty. 
solve poverty, solve crime. And then as if we ignore the fact rich people commit crimes all the time too. The problem is crime, which is a heart problem. Uh, or we'll say what we need to do is to uh, invest more in education. Educated people are good people without realizing there's a lot of smart people who are doing a lot of criminal activity. We think that if the problem is external, the solution must be external. And we as Americans are certainly doing that. It's why we get so hot and bothered every election cycle, every single one of them. And it's because we're looking for external solutions for internal problems. So, so the story may make you think, well, this can be solved externally. Just get rid of the Canaanites. Um, but actually what we discover at the last part of it, the anarchy part, uh, so this is where you, you get the Mike, Micah, the Levites, and the Danites. So this is where Micah hires a priest for his false religion, you know, and cities, Elijah burn, all that, and the Danites are just terrible. Um, and then you get the civil war, the Benjaminites, that is very, it mirrors the story of Solomon and Gomorrah. It's actually worse than Solomon and Gomorrah. Um, so, so what you see at the very end of the book is that these are not external problems. Micah setting up his own religion, that is not an external problem. That's an internal problem. It's idolatry. Cities are burning, not because of poor political leadership, but because man is a rebel on the inside. So the reason they are at war with each other is because of personal human depravity. And so you get to the end of the book, and that's why you get the phrase, there was no king in Israel at that time. The writer wants you to think the answer is a king. And if I'm right on the original uh, composition of the book, the king is Saul. The king is David. The king is Solomon. But then we've read their stories. And what do we find? Saul is as flawed as Samson. David is as flawed as Gideon. Solomon, for all of his wisdom, he's as flawed as Jephthah. And his son, Rehoboam, is just an absolute fool. So if, if, if you thought a king was going to save Israel from anarchy, what's going to save Israel from monarchy? And this is the problem in the Old Testament. It's, it's, they try law. They try uh, uh, liberty. They try legislation. They try literature. They, they try um, uh, the prophets. They try all of it. And you get to the end of the Old Testament, and you don't have the Garden of Eden, you still have the wilderness of man. And so uh, we get hints of this is in Deborah, God shows that he can deliver Israel through an army of many. Through many people, Israel will be delivered. Through Gideon, God shows that Israel can be delivered through just a few. But it isn't until Jesus that you discover God will deliver us through one. In fact, it may be helpful for us to think of that last story, the story of, of, of the Benjaminite who, when, when the crowd comes and, and they start beating on the door like Son of Gomorrah and they want him, he then in turn says, no, don't take me. Here's my concubine. Sounds like Son of Gomorrah. Remember that, that uh, Lot offers his, his daughters, his virgin daughters, and in Sodom, they didn't want the women. They only wanted the men, the angels. In Israel, they took the concubine. And through violent rape, she is used and left for dead. She, she's killed, murdered. And, and so that is when the, uh, the 
husband, or like a better term, goes and, and just, it just gets crazy from there. And that launches the, the civil war, because it was the Benjaminites that did this. So all the tribes go to war against Benjamin for, for this heinous deed. What's interesting is to save himself, the man offered his bride. But if you come to Calvary, it's the opposite. It's to protect his bride, the Son of God offers himself. And he dies for her. But he doesn't just die, he's, he's raised so that she is glorified with him, sanctified uh, for him. And that's the eternal marriage that we're looking for. We're wanting to leave behind that world that you see in Judges for the world that we're longing for in the kingdom of God. And the bridge for that is the gospel. So even though this is a violent book, it's an ugly book, it will force us to address what it is we're seeing on the news, but it also forces, I believe, to place our hope in the gospel. Because what we need is more than flawed leaders. What we need is a perfect, righteous Savior. Well, Danny, did we miss anything? Yeah, I don't know. He's called a priest. Although the, the mirror is Eli's sons were good for nothings. Samuel's sons are good for nothing. So, yeah. He, he might have been. He, he certainly plays a role like that. Um, he, he would probably match more the Levite at, at the end of the Judges. Uh, so, so what you have with Samuel, Eli and Samuel is more like Gideon that God uses this person as, as a tribal chieftain, priest, leader, religious leader, but then their sons aren't worth 10 cents. By the way, can I show you one more redemptive connection with judges that we just skipped over and we just don't have time for it now. I hear the kids, uh, it was probably the youth, um, is there is a book between Judges and Samuel, and that book is about redemption. It's the story of Ruth. Ruth takes place in the time of Judges, so there is no king of Israel. Everyone does right in their own eyes. Remember what Elimelech does is he moves his family out of the land of promise into the land of the Moabites. And, and they, they experience a lot of sadness there. And it is a Moabitess who comes into the promised land and becomes a true worshiper of Yahweh. All around them is just paganism. It's Boaz and, and Ruth. And through them comes the answer to Judges. David is on his way. It's a book of redemption in that Ruth is redeemed out of poverty through the uh, gift and the marriage with Boaz. So, so if you read Judges, it's all bad. But right there in the thick of it is a young woman named Ruth who falls in love. And we get a taste of redemption in the middle of the chaos. That's, that's good stuff. That's good. So no matter how bad it gets here, and it's going to get bad, um, there is the hope of redemption, maybe in the form of someone named Ruth. Anything else? I'm excited for Judges. I'm scared, but I am excited, so uh, stick with us. All right, how about we close out in prayer and uh, we call a night? Hey, Danny, since you and I didn't have to pray,